I'm uh, Cora Nimick. If you don't know me, then Google me, and you're listening to CF3 Podcast. Corin Nemec can't lose, and neither can we when a memorable actor such as Corin graces us with his presence on CF3. That's Cult Fans, Films, and Finds, the podcast that spotlights a new cult, B, or horror movie film fan like us, or an industry professional, and asks them to help us review our movie of the week. These are cult fans discussing cult films. And finally, in our weekly Cult Finds segment, we'll deliver newsworthy items that we dug up from around the web. It's time for another episode of the CF3 Podcast. I'm Dane Michael. And I am Jeff Johnson. Welcome back to CF3 Pod. Who else we got here today? This person who's been ruining the show since episode one. Day one. Episode 001. I've been ruining your life since day one, son. It's Dames. That's true. And we have a uh, guest host here as well. Somebody we've known for quite a while. He's got a Jaws poster in the background. He likes Supernatural. Please welcome to the show, Brother Teabags. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm uh, looking forward to being on the show. Um, I appreciate this time to talk about all things science fiction, horror, and cult. Um, big, big, big sci-fi fan and uh, looking forward to discussing the film today. Today we are joined by the indelible and timeless Corin Nemec, star of the classic Fox sitcom Parker Lewis Can't Lose, the ABC miniseries of Stephen King's The Stand, and other sci-fi series such as Stargate SG-1 and Supernatural, just to name a few of his notable projects through the years. His latest film, Rotten Tale, based on the SourcePoint Press graphic novel of the same name, screens in select theaters beginning April 12th and can be pre-ordered on Blu-ray and DVD directly from SourcePoint Press now for shipment at the end of April. Corin, can you hear us? Yeah. Uh, greetings, good sir. Thank you so much for taking the time out to chat with us, Corin. We are truly honored. Oh, come on. You're not. You're lying. <laughs> well, we got to say something. I mean, it's true. It's true. Corin, favorite Bundy, Ted or Bud? Oh, no. Bud, of course. Ted Bundy was a, just, he, he was not nearly as sick and demented as Bud. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Did you see uh, David Faustino won a rap battle against Joey Lawrence? Of course I watched it. It was amazing. I was actually very impressed. Yeah, you had to be incredibly proud of him on that. I was, I was. I, I For the first time for the first time in my life, I wanted his autograph. <laughs> Who doesn't want his autograph? Let's be honest. Um, so we wanted to ask you, uh, with all this Ted Bundy mania going on. Yeah, yeah, that movie came out at the wrong time, didn't it? It sure did. <laughs> but, but we thought that maybe it's getting more streams now. I don't know if that affects you and royalties or anything like that. Royalties? But... What are those? <laughs> Do you plan on watching the Zac Efron performance of Ted Bundy? Oh, there's no, I refuse. Too painful going back into that mindset? No, no, not at all. I, actually, making the movie was very disturbing, to be honest. But, uh, but uh, I'm, I'm, I'm happy for him to have the opportunity to, uh, to play the character that I, I put my trademark on. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great answer. 
I was going to say, how do you go about preparing for a role like that? Well, I mean, that one, you know, I just watched as many uh, interviews and stuff with him as possible. So he kind of get a, you know, a vibe of, of what he was all about. And, and actually, I got the most out of some moments when they had the live court stuff and they showed him. And it was these quiet moments when he kind of broke character. Cause he was always in this weird character. You know, the guy was definitely, you know, uh, well, I wouldn't say schizophrenic because he knew what he was doing, but he had two distinct personalities and there was moments where he would like kind of break character you could see this darkness come over him and that's that's where i found most of uh what i needed to you know create that character awesome well i watched it last week and i I just want to let you know i I thought you were incredible so thank you uh thank you for that yeah we uh wanted to also check out with you um what are some of your favorite roles that have stood out to you personally or professionally through the years well um there there was one uh i did that was based on another um, mass murderer called Richard Speck. It was a lot of fun to do. He was really, really a, a twisted fucker, but uh, but it was a, a really well-written piece, and, and I enjoyed it very much. But, you know, other than that, I mean, uh, The Stand was definitely, uh, you know, up there for sure. Playing Harold Lauder was, was a great privilege and worked with an incredible cast. I know my first name is Steven was a really big one for sure which I got the Emmy mm-hmm. nomination for when I was like 16. And uh, Parker Lewis was obviously a lot of fun. But, uh, but this film coming out, Rotten Tail, oh my God, this is, I mean, what a, what a great character. It's, it's, it's going to be so, so funny. I'm, I'm very excited about it. So speaking of Rotten Tail, how did you come to be involved in that project? And what did you see first? Was it a script or the graphic novel? Well, no, I, they sent me the graphic novel, but... Uh, it was the the script first, but uh, just the idea of working on a graphic novel because sometimes the graphic novels when you read them they don't they, they don't translate the same as the script reads you know but uh, because mm-hmm. you, you need generally speaking quite a bit more information in the scripts because it's a visual thing that you're doing in a graphic novel a lot of it is but um, the, the the character is going to be so much fun I mean uh, he you know my my character is this nerdy scientist who gets bitten by a mutated rabbit in his lab and he slowly morphs into a half man half rabbit and uh the 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 character of rotten tail is just i mean what an experience i mean we 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 have plans on doing a uh follow-up to it uh which i which i really hope uh comes through and uh it's just when you see this thing oh my god it's it is a scream an absolute scream yeah half of us have pre-ordered it already yeah, the trailer looks insane on that one. They actually did a pretty good job of uh, making you look nerdy. Um, not quite as nerdy as Peter Cotton in the graphic novel, I would say. <laughs> well, that's because I'm just so much better looking. I was going to say, <laughs> you got to keep the looks going where the looks are. Exactly. What was the commitment as far as like sitting down for the prosthetics each time you had to do that? Well, it was an hour and 45 minutes to get the, uh, the, the makeup on and then an hour and 15 minutes to get it off. Uh, and that was every single day. So, uh, wow. I mean, not every single day because I started out as Peter Cotton. But once we got into Rotten Tail, right. it was, uh, you know, I, I was there at least an hour and a half before everybody else got there. And then I never left. The, I left. The, it's the first time in my life I've left the set when the grips and Teamsters are gone, too. <laughs> <laughs> How long was filming for that? Uh, about, uh, well, we're, we're at really about, uh, 16 days. It was, uh, you know, the, very the, efficient. The, yeah, the budget was, was very tight. I produced on it as well. And, uh, and a lot, the majority of the budget went to the, the prosthetics, to be honest. Uh, we had to spend a whole lot on that in order to get it right. 
because we couldn't, uh, you know, we couldn't go cheap on it. And uh, the prosthetics are just amazing. And the, the, the whole thing, man, it, I really have high hopes for it. I think it should be, uh, I, I think it should be a big hit for the genre. Nice. Well, we're really excited for it. And we will, um, when this podcast gets released, we're going to be throwing out the links for that all over the place. So nice. Nice. Thank you. Very much looking forward to it. Um, beyond Rotten Tail, do you have anything else that's in the works right now that you're able to talk about? Yeah, I have another film I did called Sleeping in Plastic, which uh, is a very, very cool indie uh, film about uh, some young kids who jack a drug dealer for some drug money and stuff. And I'm, I'm like this crazy redneck drug dealer who wants his, his money back. And uh, it's a really great role. I'm excited for that. It's going to do the the uh, festival circuit, I believe, before they look for uh, distribution on it. And then I'm also working on a film right now called My True Fairy Tale, which is based on a, a true story about some teenagers in a car wreck. And I'm a detective, and one of my kids is in the car, and I can't investigate it. But there's you know a little bit of a mystery or you know surrounding what really happened, and, uh, and I'm working on that out here in Los Angeles uh, oh, as we speak. That sounds great. Yeah, so that should be really good. Other than that, I have another one of these lifetime movies coming out, which we'll, uh, you know, we'll see what happens with that. But, uh, but yeah, you know, just just uh, hustling, trying to stay relevant. Are you focusing more on the the film aspect now, and not so much television at this time? Uh, I, I'm focusing on uh, job offers. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Tony, did you have a question? Hey, Corin, uh, this is Tony. I had a. A nice chance to meet you at a convention down in Kansas. Uh, I drove five hours just to meet you after the night that I found you were going to be out there. You were so giving, and you're so giving to all the fans on Twitter. It's very nice to see a celebrity that is very selfless uh, in his interactions with fans. Do you enjoy that interaction as much as you give? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, it's uh, I I have over. The, the number of years that I've been on Twitter, because I kind of started on Twitter a little bit late, like I did with my Instagram and whatnot. But because uh, I'm not really into the social media thing, but I I found when I when I signed on to Twitter, uh, I had just gotten over a really really bad um, uh, boat wreck filming down in Belize, and I was uh, hospitalized for a long time and this and that. And and it and while I was in recovery, uh, Twitter and the fans on Twitter really really helped me out a lot during that time period. Because uh, it was it was pretty rough on me, and uh, and since then I just I just kind of found this continuation of weird friendships uh, with different people on Twitter, and I have this one person named Katso Nemec who is like my nemesis because I was at a convention in in Australia, and I happen to mention that I'm not a big fan of cats, and so somebody started this uh, this. I don't know who it is, but they started this account called Catsonemic, which is a tabby cat that it just terrorizes me as much as possible. <laughs> and it's, it's, hilarious. it's hilarious. I love it. I love oh, it. Oh, it, it, it's fantastic. And, you know, you know, sometimes I was actually going to ask you if you were involved with that particular account, but uh, we now have the answer to that. One last question that I would have is, are you continuing to work on Hollywood with Gas Monkey or Gas Money pictures? And uh, do you have anything to tell us about that? Well, we did. We did the. Uh, we we did a a short run. Basically, we did twelve, uh, ten episodes. I'm sorry, ten uh, short form episodes of it with me and David Faustino and Tone Loke and and uh, Harlan Williams and some other people playing uh, 
these characters. Basically, it's a the uh, the show is about a bunch of fruits, nuts, and vegetables that live in Hollywood trying to make it in in, in the business. And myself and David Faustino are two peanuts who are writers, producers in in Hollywood trying to uh, you know get ahead in life. So it's it's not. A lot different than uh, than that that short-lived web series the, uh, David and I did called Starving, uh, where we're trying to make it in Hollywood. <laughs> but I saw a clip from that with uh, Ed O'Neill. Um, that scene cracked me up. <laughs> yeah, it's too bad they they pulled the show down. They pulled the show down, which is sad. So it, it it's no longer available online, which is 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 a real shame because it was very very funny. Where can people find you on social media? Yeah, at I am Coronemic. It's the letter I, the letter M, and then Coronemic on Twitter. And then also uh, the letter I, the letter M, Coronemic on uh, Instagram as well. I am Coronemic. I really appreciate you coming on here and doing this with us. Um, I know the four of us are fans for life. I went back and I watched everything I could that have has you in it. And, I, you know, just knowing that you would take the time out to do this for us in our infancy. Um, it means a lot to us. So I'm a, I'm a fan for life. Anything you do, man, I, I'm going to be involved in watching it and sharing it. Thanks, buddy. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, we're going to promote the hell out of Rotten Tail. So. Awesome. Keep looking to the east. <laughs> thanks so much for your time. We're going to leave that remaining 7 or 8% you have left for, oh, for the rest thanks. of the event. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> Love you, man. Good. Thank you for all your work. Thank you. Bye. 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 That was awesome. We will be right back with our cult film segment. Alex Rogan. Alex? I'm Alex. Is the last Starfighter. For every Earthling who's ever imagined traveling beyond the stars. Maybe there is a Starfighter left. I love you, Alex Rogan. Comes the unforgettable story of one who made it. <laughs> the last Starfighter. And welcome back to Cult Films. Today we are discussing the 1984 movie, The Last Starfighter. Welcome to Starlight, Star Bright, 1984. Alex Rogan and his family live an easy and calm life in this out-of-the-way trailer park. Alex is eager to move on to bigger and better things. One day, Alex has plans to party with his girlfriend and his friends. But as what happens in most lives, shit happens and somebody's got to deal with it. And who are you going to call? You got to call Alex Rogan to fix your electric. You got to have him fix your toilet. Got to have him do everything. So he has to ditch out on his friends. Towards the end of the day, though, he seeks out refuge in a brand new arcade game at the diner that they have next to the trailer park called the Starfighter. In this game, it's got an unusually high game score. And he, through sheer luck and pure skill, as we all did as kids playing video games, you plug away or you quit until you break that score. He broke the score. Everybody in the trailer park was there to root him on, including his dick of a brother. And it was a big celebration. It was great times, but it all came crashing down a little bit later when his mom gave him the bad news and the letter of denial regarding his loan that he would not be able to go and leave the park. He wouldn't be able to go to the college he wanted to. He couldn't really leave. Um, he left the house frustrated. And when he left, he meets the mysterious inventor of the Starfighter game. This person is extremely eager to meet this person who broke the score and bestow them an incredible surprise honor. Please just get in the car and I will take you to where magic awaits. 
Alex is whisked away on a bold and dangerous journey that challenges his dreams for more out of life or the safety of home. Is he ready for this? Is he ready for life? Or is he ready to become the last starfighter? Are you ready for this? And Tony, were you ready for this? Absolutely. Yeah, I do very much love the premise of this film. Boy is good at video game. Boy is rejected by his college of choice. Boy learns that video game is a recruiting tool for intergalactic starfighter pilots. Just like the classic tale, you know? I did some research on this. Surprise, surprise. What? Oh my God. Because when he's playing that video game towards the beginning, I was like, these graphics look really good for for arcade games, I think, for anything they would have had access to in 83, 84. And so I looked up what the actual like award-winning games were for the sixth annual arcade awards. Those were held in 1985 for the games released at the time that Alex would have been playing, 83, 84. Star Wars won best arcade game. And so I looked up the graphics for Star Wars and they are not as good as The Last Starfighter. Hate, hate to say it. Anybody agree on that? Does anybody remember playing video games back then? I remember playing those back then. Yep. Tony? Absolutely. And, and, you know, in this particular movie, when that game came out, I was in awe. And I had played the actual Star Wars game and the controls of the last Starfighter game and the fact that it never came out, you know, it didn't come out in any real form, just devastated me. I was looking forward to it. And the fact that it never came into realization is ridiculous. In fact, had they promoted or built, I should say, the game before the movie came out, that movie would have made huge money and bigly money, if you will. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good point. If they would have came out with a video game, a working video game that they could have promoted to say, hey, play the game. Maybe you'll go amongst the stars with Alex Rogan. But I, I think it was something lost. The technology wasn't quite there. But uh, I, I was devastated at, as a kid. You mean it wasn't E.T.? <laughs> <laughs> um, so when they're crowding around watching him play that video game, I thought to myself, this is the original. We've got a Donkey Kong kill screen coming up. So <laughs> that was the original. Like people actually like crowding around to watch somebody at an arcade. Well, you know, and Alex and Maggie, after, you know, he, he bests the game, are, are sitting back and people are walking back to the trailers and they're, hey, Alex, good job. You know, that was fantastic. And I'm just like, how small of a world is it when a guy beats a video game that everyone's high-fiving him and it's the best night that the trailer park has probably seen in years. And like, uh, I mean, you got to be nostalgic for times when that could actually happen instead of everybody just playing the game remotely and watching it on Twitch, you know. So Centauri, played by the late Robert Preston, he very much seemed to me like a mashup of Harold Hill, who was his famous character in The Music Man. Um, We've Got Trouble right here in River City. Um, And Tom Baker's doctor in Doctor Who. I thought he was probably trying to go for like some blend of those. He's like, how can I bring sci-fi to my Music Man character? Oh, Tom Baker, that makes sense. He's gonna whisk me away to space. And there's also some, a little bit of Obi-Wan in there for obvious plot-related reasons. And Han Solo. Yeah, true, I well, guess. True. Proving the reach of Baker is extensive. Yeah. The game that, he winds up, that Alex winds up playing was supposed to be delivered to Las Vegas instead of Tatooine, or the trailer park where Alex <laughs> lives. The trailer park <laughs> called 
trailer park. We know what Dane's thinking. He wants to go someplace filled with desert and hot air. <laughs> now I'm thinking that this is going to be the one of the first of many times that I compare this film to like the Star original Star Wars trilogy. So, what do you guys think of that star car? We'll start with you, Jeff, because you are the car guy. <laughs> well, that was a uh, specially designed car, so that wasn't really built based off of much of anything. It was back in the time that looked super cool as a kid because i i did see this in the theater i also got it on vhs tape back in those days car looks awesome until it starts to fly with the cgi effects and then you see how the cgi doesn't quite hold up today but back then this was the very first photorealistic attempt at cgi they intentionally ditched doing practical effects halfway through even though they could have done that and made it look 10 times better, they stuck with the the effects. And this is actually a very pivotal movie that drove that forward throughout the years. Right. Dames. The car to me looked like if John DeLorean invented a hearse. <laughs> you know, that's a good point with the DeLorean. It did have some of the aspects of that. I'm not as high on the star car as Jeff. Um, I think I would rank it in terms of sci-fi movie vehicles. I'd place it somewhere below Luke's Landspeeder and slightly above the Enforcer 1 go-kart in Space Mutiny. (laughs) (laughs) Well, my question with the car is, you know, they have the the glass screen that he has go up between them. And if it was needed to be there for any reason of being in space, why is it so easy for him to pull it down at the very end? I mean, the car looks great, but the actual scientific workings of it, I'm a little confused on. (laughs) <laughs> that's a level of detail that was missing just a little bit in this movie i have a few more of those <laughs> there were a few <laughs> no discussion of this movie would be complete without talk of Catherine mary stewart i think she was kind of the 80s dream girl who actually managed to maintain her innocence unlike you know these people like phoebe cates or you know, whoever um, but even in doing films like Mischief and Night of the Comet, she never betrayed that. So I don't know what happened to her in the 90s. I guess the innocence didn't pay off as much. But wow. What did you guys think of her in this movie and in other movies? I loved her in uh, this movie and Night of the Comet. These are like two of my favorite of hers and two of literally my favorite movies growing up as a kid. She's awesome. She's fantastic. Not sure what happened either in like the 90s. It's like, Life just took over or the acting jobs just weren't there. She's very capable and she's done the making ups for Night of the Comet for Scream Factory. And it sounds like she loves the fan base. She loves the fans and she's very appreciative of everything that comes from the cult following of these movies. Well, and I think the director did a great job of capturing her scenes. Every scene that she's in I mean, the way her hair is and the way she is just portraying her character is fantastic. And it comes out in the role. It's one of the best characters of the movie, if, if I have anything to say about it. Nick Castle is a detail freak. So it's great to see what he did with this movie. You mentioned Jeff, his little brother, Lewis. Um, <laughs> he's rifling through the Playboys. And my wife, Katie, pointed this out. He has way too much makeup on. Did anybody notice this? He has so much makeup on in that scene that he looks like Charlie Chaplin almost. How did you watch this? Because um, if you watch the Blu-ray, looks like that. Not sure how the high def streams are for. It was a HD stream. Yeah. HD stream. Yeah. Then then yeah, you can see that if you watch the old DVD, it's not nearly as bad. Really? Yeah. You can actually make that somewhat passable. So it really does depend on 
how you watch this. This was a universal release. They did do a little DNR, but it's not too bad. Interesting fact, you know, as I was doing a little research uh, after watching this uh, again, which I've watched many times over the years, the actor Lewis Rogan played by Chris Hebert, which shares last name with me. So he maybe is distant cousin. I don't know. Wait, I thought your last name was Teabags <laughs> and your first name. <laughs> we are anti-Teabags here. <laughs> um, oh, by the way, somebody needs to keep a Playboy reference tally for this podcast. Yeah, we do. We because do. so we've got Lewis who rifled through the Playboys in The Last Starfighter. We had um, the main character, I think his name was Kyle, who finds the Playboy. Yeah, he finds the Playboy at Camp Crystal Lake in Never Hike Alone. Yep. Uh, Playboy model, Bobby Breezy from Mausoleum. Prove it. I haven't seen it. I can't find it. Well, then you're not doing your job. You're not doing the research for this podcast, sir. I know. Are you doubting horror expert John Cohorn on that point? (laughs) I wouldn't. I wouldn't dare. We believe you, John, yep. but Damon does not. He needs to get some work done. So we're at it. so we're at a fifty percent Playboy reference rate in this uh, podcast. And somebody, uh, Dames, I'm going to put you in charge of making sure we never miss one that's actually there. Okay. All right, you got it. Is this something only I would think of that when um, Alex's temporary body beta is generated under the covers? So he pulls the blanket off to reveal his developing face. But for whom? <laughs> he does it after she leaves the room already. And he does it just very briefly. Like, yeah, maybe oh. I changed my mind. Maybe I want to look like her. <laughs> I'm like, oh, that's... Looking than Alex. I'm like, that's for the benefit of the audience only. That just pulled me right out of the movie. <laughs> uh, I think it was just to show that he was what he was before he transformed into it. So the audience had an idea that, okay... This looks somewhat robotic and alien when he actually becomes the main character's twin or clone or however you want to describe it later that you already understand what's going on, especially when it goes to the head removal scenes. Oh, the head removal scenes are great. What did you guys think of uh, Greg in this episode of Starfighter? Mr. Dan he otherwise known as the old man from RoboCop 1 and 2. <laughs> I thought the interaction between Greg and Alex Rogan was fantastic. You know, when you have a human and an alien interacting the way that they do, I mean, that's the bulk of the, the best parts of the movie. You know, I aken it to um, the enemy mine. You know, you remember the movie enemy mine yeah. with uh, Dennis Quaid and, and uh, Louis Gossett Jr. Yeah. I mean, that movie, I, I put those two movies together. I know that, you know, one's more of a family movie, one's more of straight sci-fi. But uh, when I think of the interaction between the human and the alien, I put those two together and I really enjoy the interaction between Greg and uh, Alex. I agree with that. And I think easily the best parts of this movie are in outer space. My score when we, you know, get to that is going to be affected by the dynamic of them going back and forth between earth and outer space slash rylos or whatever anytime they go back to earth i found myself completely disrupted and taken right out of the story was not a fan of them shuttling us back and forth between those environments Uh, like how much less popular would star wars have been if luke had been from earth and always whined about going back and yeah so no i don't really think that the b story 
B for beta um, on Earth was necessary at all. I would have actually preferred that they found a way to bring Catherine Mary Stewart up into space at the beginning and not just at the tail end. Yeah, don't get me started on that. I mean, the the whole truck running into the, the bad guy ship and then she just shows back up at the trailer park and the other guy shows up. Hey, where's my truck? Well, you know, a cop died, a truck you know, drove into a spaceship and she just shows back up at the trailer park. How'd she get there? You know, I mean, we don't, we don't know. Do we really care? I don't, I don't think so. Welcome uh, to the eighties where plot holes came in spades. And I do think in part, I mean, that the bringing it back to earth was meant to appeal to the kids, you know, um, cause this was what, like a family, I guess they were going definitely for family oriented, but star Wars was family-oriented as well. And George Lucas at that time, this would of course change when he did the prequels, did not feel the need to talk down to kids. Dane. I agree. And Dane, the point that you're making about it being so much on Earth makes it feel like it takes forever for the movie to get going. I mean, I, that, that's what one thing I noticed. I felt like, man, is he going to do it or not? Why are we still on Earth? Get, get there already. And if they're going to do that, then I don't think like they should have even, I mean, fine, do the B story with Beta on Earth, but don't have him actually come back like he does. That's just ridiculous to me. But I will say with the one thing that I did enjoy in the Earth scenes was the alien work that they did. The assassin alien, the makeup was fantastic. I think he was the best looking alien in the movie uh, as far as, you know, how his eyes were on the side of his head. You know, I'm not quite sure when he was, dribbling his uh, uh, his saliva, if it was rocks, I could never tell when he was, you know, Alex was underneath there, or I should say the beta and the, the rocks and saliva dropping on top of him. But I thought the, the actual prosthetics and makeup work for that particular character was fantastic. Yeah. Well, and uh, comparisons aside from Star Wars, they're, they're, they're there in spades. You can't, you can't say that they're not there. <laughs> um, but you got to understand that they're not trying to rip it off. They're trying to present their own opinion and perspective on how they could do a friendly Star Wars. What I liked about the going back and forth is, yes, that was a bit much. They could have condensed that down. They could have edited it maybe just a little bit differently, kind of, you know, just spread it out a little bit better. But what they were trying to show is that he was so gung-ho about leaving the trailer park in this big adventure and just getting the hell out of there. And I want to do something with my life. I need, I, I need to do more, but then he keeps being called back. They called him away from partying with his friends. So he's going up there. He's like, okay, um, this is crazy, but this is somewhat exciting, but I also don't want to die. I want to go home. It shows in, it's showing that he's scared of anything that's being put in front of him that would be new, some sort of future. To me, it's a little bit of a character study on, okay, you say you're ready to, to get out of the trailer park and do something with your life, but then you're presented with an opportunity and all you want to do is just go back home. So do you want to play it safe, be stuck there for the rest of your life, or do you want to freaking do something about it? That's where I pick up on that. I do like the story and the concept of that. The execution is what I think you're both describing is what's, what killed that for you because they didn't edit it as well as they should have and they didn't pace it as well as they should have. yeah well here's the thing to me that that tags on what you're saying he's out there star fighting right he's committed to it finally the first ship he faces he looks at the guy he's like you you put my life in danger 
as if he had no idea that that's what the reality of the situation he had agreed to was going to be. And I just thought, well, I, I mean, to your point, yes, getting out there and doing something is definitely what he wanted to do. I don't know that that was that college <laughs> at a non-city university and starfighting are on the same level of. Well, it, it's just the underlying concept of Maggie like, hey, Maggie, you and me, let's go somewhere else. Doesn't matter where, because he did have that conversation with her of, yep. doesn't have to be college. We can go anywhere. We could do anything. And that ultimate line of, we can go anywhere. We can do anything. That's what they're playing towards. But I do agree with what you're saying. This movie basically asks, um, what if Luke Skywalker was a pussy at the beginning and then had to like sack up and, you know, because Luke was eager from the get go. And never really back down from it. But um, I like how this movie contrasts that. Like, what if you have the reluctant hero and, and who actually, like, changes for the better? Yeah, Tony, what? Yeah, I was going to say. Are you mad at this movie? No, don't tell me Luke wasn't a pussy. I want to go get some power converters. His, his tone of his voice was a pussy, but he always wanted to be involved in the rebellion. And you know That's true. <laughs> Until he went home and, and saw his uncle and aunt dead that's when he finally nutted up because yeah. before that it's all talk until you actually do something he was scared to get his ass kicked by uncle owen he always wanted to fight just not with his family i guess yeah um let's do a budget and box office report on this one so oh here we go <laughs> it was budgeted at 15 million it made 29 million so it basically doubled its money almost 15 million doesn't seem like a lot um return of the jedi actually only cost 32 million so it had roughly you know a little under half that budget but return of the jedi made a 300 million dollar return on its investment yes it was already an established franchise and a record breaker by that time but um they they had money to hire professional craftspeople to do this and it shows i think I, I do want to say this final space battle at the end was not brought to you by a grant from Industrial Light and Magic, but the goal was probably to make it look very video game-ish, and it succeeded at that. And we have to remember that this, was this along with Tron, was one of the first movies to actually go for it with CG, actual CGI. I would actually applaud it for that effort. The only effect that really bothered me was that planet explosion at the end was horseshit. So they needed to hire a pyrotechnician like the guy who did the explosion in the Wraith and then superimpose that over a planet, I think, rather than whatever they did, which was total horseshit. I do agree with that. <laughs> it looked like the, the, the entire command ship was the size of the planet. And so, so the planet <laughs> right. <laughs> oh. I did like the Cordon Empire guys going, well, we're going to die. Well, okay, so to talk about that, you know, Lord Krill... You know, every time he had a dramatic line, he had this lens that came over from his helmet, yeah. just slapped him right in the face. You'd be like, I, I don't have any of his lines from that. But every time you would have a dramatic scene, he'd turn to the camera and the glass would come over and slap him in the face. So the bad guy, the main bad guy, who was a traitor, his name was Krill, right? Is that No, it, no oh. Zor. He, Zor. He was the son okay. of um, the, the leader of... Uh, ah. He was the son of the uh, the original Rylosians, 
And he okay. betrayed them. He had a cult. He wanted to overthrow his dad and take over everything. And then he ran like a little pussy to to their biggest enemies. And okay, daddy kicked me out, so I need to get some big bad friends to kick him out. Spoiled brat. <laughs> Complete spoiled. Great though in that spoiled brat role. God, yeah, I just get his ass kicked, and what happens? He escapes at the end. And I actually do like that motive for a sci-fi villain. It's good. It's not um, yeah. not overly done or unoriginal. You know, it's it's good. Well, what do you think about the the whole Death Blossom scene? You know, when that starfighter is going round in circles, I almost thought that it almost looked like Alex was going to throw up for just a second, and I think that he should have. And then the whole idea of the helmets. Why are they wearing helmets in space? And then they get to Earth. Then Alex is coming down to meet Maggie, and he's got his helmet all fogged up. What was the purpose of him wearing his helmet? Was it just dramatic effect? Probably. You know, am I an alien? Am I a human? But uh, I really enjoyed the movie. And, you know, one thing I wanted to point on, because, you know, I, I enjoy Stargate 1, or Stargate, I should say, SG-1. Uh, Stargate also had a universe um, series. And the basis of that series one of the main characters could be taken right out of the last starfighter you know eli one of the main characters in stargate universe is at home on earth playing a video game and he beats that video game and then what happens is colonel o'neill from sg1 shows up at his door and says hey you beat this game we put it out there as a test we're taking you to space to go on into an adventure so you know the fact that this movie was made in i believe 1984 it still resonates today because you know, there are a lot of different uh, movies that can you know, take bits and pieces out of this movie for their own. And let's face it, video game culture is not going away anytime soon. Never. Uh, it is not. It's only getting bigger and stronger, more profitable for everyone involved. Except for Doom Annihilation. See <laughs> <laughs> episode. Um, God. Check out the archives. It's in there. <laughs> yeah. Just listen to all our past episodes and you'll hear what he's talking about. I want to go back to Tony's point on the Blossom. Why is that the last weapon of defense? It takes absolutely no skill. Just push the button and it goes in circles and kills everything. Why would that not be the first because thing? Because it exhausts your ammo. They had nothing left after I would that. exhaust my ammo every time if it killed every ship around me. It, it, although I will say it was a good use of uh, props. You know, when Greg finally gets the power back up and the lights on the, the circuit board light up and his face lights up and, like, hey, we've got power again. We can go back and, you know, attack the command ship. You know, it was kind of one of those moments. Uh, and that was, you know, one of the moments I really enjoyed, although I will say my favorite moment of the movie is at the very end when, you know, they take back off to space. They've got Maggie in the star in the, in the gun star and then Lewis sees the, the game lighten up again. And he's watching that video game as the gunship goes up and he sees it off in real life. And he looks up and he's like, yeah, I just, I love that. It gives me a great feeling. And I could leave that movie with, you know, just an uplifting feeling. So with that said, give us your score from zero to 100 for this. Well, you know, I thought about this and, you know, I find it rewatchable. I can watch this, you know, every couple of years. And when I rewatch it, I, I always find something that I enjoy a little bit more than uh, I did before. One thing we didn't talk about was the music. I thought the music score was fantastic. I mean, it just comes right at you. You know, it's, it's trying to be Star Wars, but it's trying to go over the top of Star Wars. I mean, it's just in your face and, and, you, and it has the great theme throughout the entire movie. 
And, uh, you know, I think it was one of the first movies that led me to really enjoy sci-fi and get me into sci-fi and the movies that I love. So with that said, I'm going to give it a 70. Okay. 70. Dames, where do you come out on The Last Starfighter? Well, I started out watching it and I felt like I was watching uh, Karate Kid, Mr. Miyagi being the handyman situation which was also 1984 mind you so 1984 was handyman laden in their films um <laughs> i we haven't brought this up but there was also another common 80s one-liner which is gone now and it shouldn't be what the shit that <laughs> line needs to be in more movies today i wrote it down because i wrote um every pg movie in the 80s had a kid saying shit because they had to get their shit in there so that's an undisputed fact that you can go through any pg movie from the 80s and there that has a kid in it and he will say what shit. The shit and you could still keep your rating that's right that's right you still could absolutely well you could keep your pg-13 rating showing like boobs and rape as we we found in the wraith so you guys convinced <laughs> me a little bit i know it was early cgi but the cgi honestly looked worse than an 8-bit video game to me but you guys i mean i'm glad they allowed it because we had to start somewhere with cgi and uh, what they've got today is just a testament to the pioneers who had the guts to go out there first and with bad looking stuff. The trailer park people that were unaffected by seeing an alien at all, none of them were like, oh my God. They're just like, oh, cool. That happens every day. No. <laughs> Granny had her shotgun Shoot. out. Thank Granny you. was ready to take him out. And then the one guy, <laughs> the I guess he's maybe a janitor around there or something. He's like, this thing really packs a punch. I'm like, how do you know? You've never seen it before, but uh, owner of the yeah, diner. For all these reasons, I go 72. 72. Okay. Uh, Jeff. I'll start with my score of 85. This is a personal favorite of mine. I'm not going to cut it slack, though. I will give it its due, and I will not give it its due on certain things. Uh, the FX are obscenely dated today, as referenced by Damon. But back for the day, this was phenomenal. It was a precedent being set. They intentionally stuck with the visual effects on purpose, even though they could have gone cheaper and done practical. I love the detail in the production design, the ship concept ideas, how they looked. If they did that today, that ship would look freaking killer. Love the Gunstar. Loved all the other designs. They were referencing star trek and other shows but also maintain their uh, uniqueness to them i love the spacesuits the details were really good the other things i liked were the halloween connections in this movie you have lance guest from halloween 2 you have nick castle the director of of a halloween or no he was director but he was the shape in the first halloween and then you also have dan o'herlihy from Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. And the fact that they also had a Halloween 2 style reference of, if you blinked, you missed it, Will Wheaton was in this movie. Oh, I did miss it. I blinked. What? I blinked a lot. He didn't actually say anything. You had to be looking for him. He was one of the kids running around in the background in a red shirt with the number 12 on it. Wow. I wow. blinked for 17 minutes the first time I watched this movie. <laughs> I blinked a lot when I was writing my notes. So, um, yeah, that's awesome. I love the the subtle hints at possible uh, sequels. Um, 
they never went anywhere, of course, but you had um, the Xur Empire, you had the Cordon Armada, their emperor that was referenced, the Xur escaped at the end. There was enough left out there to, they could go somewhere in the next one. They talked about the, the simuloids and how they're not allowed to pilot ships. That was brought up. None of it ever really went anywhere in the movie itself, but if it was to come back around, they had at least something to play off of. Uh, but it was not too much to be distracting. It was enough to create a small plot hole for us who have watched way too many movies over the years. <laughs> and uh, I got to give a little special shout out to my Aunt Mary, if she ever listens to this, for putting this on VHS tape. It was one of the very first VHS tapes I ever had as a kid, along with The Wraith from HBO. Bless you, Aunt Mary. Hi, Aunt Mary. Please listen, download, subscribe, and rate five stars on iTunes and Stitcher. Does Stitcher have five-star ratings? I don't know. But they should. Yeah, I don't know. Tony? Jump in before uh, Dane makes his uh, score. Yeah, I usually Jeff, do that. So, Jeff, with uh, this particular movie and, you know, all the, of course, the, the world is wrapped around video games today as it was opposed to back in 1984, could this or should this be remade? Well, there are rumors out there that this property is being looked at once more. Um, there's some art design and some art floating around on in the interwebs. So if you do a Google search, you might be able to find some concepts. Sounds like they're working on it, where they go with it, whether it actually happens or not. Pre-production hell could happen and nothing ever happens. But the original writer has a story. Sounds like it's floating around out there. There's some interest. If Universal gets a hold of it, don't know what'll happen. It could turn into a Battlestar Galactica remake, which was great until the ending, or it could turn into just another nice nostalgia piece like Cobra Kai has done. We're going to tie that back in for a Karate Kid reference, or it could turn into uh, a Stranger Things. It could be any number of things. Just needs to find a chance to to develop, and if it happens, great. If it doesn't, hey. I'm still happy with my piece of nostalgia. You've heard Jeff's plea. I'm going to give this an 80. I think the acting was great, although the CGI was certainly lacking. I have to give them props for, you know, being pioneers in that regard. So I didn't discount it any points for that. I actually, it probably helped get me to the 80. When I started from 100 and started marking things down, my markdowns pretty much began and ended with the issue that I already complained about enough, which was shuttling us back and forth between outer space and Earth. So minus 20 for that. Everything else, great. Catherine Mary Stewart. Lance Guest was great. Should have had a longer career, I think. Let's get him on the show, by the way. I think we'll try and do that. I'd love to have him on the show. Um, so yeah, I got an 80. And plugging that into the cult filmometer. Oh, wait. You guys, we got a call coming in. Who the yeah. hell's calling? Somebody's ringing That's in. Corin Nemec's now. Oh my god. Yeah, it's Corin Nemec. Corin Nemec. Done with him. Oh jeez. Um, okay. Um, hey Corin. Uh, hopefully my phone won't die. I think I think we should be okay with fourteen percent. We should make it. I put it on. I put my phone on power save. So. Well, we just want to ask you: Have you ever seen the last Starfighter? Yes, I did, but a long time ago. I, I, I don't have you know, a very clear recollection of it, but I did see it. Oh, because I was going to ask you to give us a number between zero and 100 of what you would score that movie if you had ever seen it. Lord, I mean, you know, it was, 
uh, I, I, it was so long ago. I, I, I would look, you know, I'll give it a uh, uh, 99. Yes. I don't know. Oh, wow. Why That's not? awesome. Just I love it. <laughs> what the hell? All right, guys. Bye. Bye. So with Corin's rousing score of 99, that's going to actually bring this film to an 81.2 on the cult filmometer. As I said, this is trademark technology. It susses out the bullshit. So 81.2 is the final score. All right, that's going to wrap it up for the cult film segment. We will be back with our final segment, The Cult Finds. It's not Peter anymore. It's Rotten Tail now. I am a rabbit man. I mean, not like a rabbit man, but a rabbit man. And welcome back to Cult Finds. This week, we are starting off with the Brigands of Rattle Creek. This is going to be a new project by S. Craig Zaylor and Park Chan Wook from Old Boy fame. And if you're a fan of the Bone Tomahawk and maybe Matthew McConaughey in an ultra-violent Western, this is going to be very interesting and a nice infusion of some crazy, bloody Westerns. Red Dead Redemption 2, look out. The brigands of Rattle Creek are coming for you. Rock on. Um, in other news, the Toxic Adventure reboot is coming finally, we think, this time for real. From Legendary. Really? <laughs> yeah, from Legendary in conjunction with Troma. So we think it finally has traction. They have announced a writer director. It's the same person. Actor turned director Macon Blair has been given the assignment. He recently blew people away with his directorial debut. I don't feel at home in this world anymore, which is available on Netflix. If you haven't seen it, it's got Melanie Linsky and Elijah Wood in it. And it won the grand jury prize at Sundance a couple years ago. Um, so I'm looking forward to this. Macon Blair actually is an actor who's been um, seen in movies like green room where he made it quite the name for himself. So toxic Avenger reboot. I'm very much looking forward to that. I don't know if it has any chance of living up to the 1984 classic, which was, like I said, probably the first true cult film that I ever saw. Do you think they're going to go dark and gritty or are they going to try and stick with the nostalgia craze of fun, quirky, and completely cheesy? Um, it's hard for me to think that they're going to go completely dark and gritty with this. However, Macon Blair leads me to believe that that is a strong possibility. But if Lloyd has any say, Lloyd Kaufman, I think that there's going to be quite a bit of um, classic trauma craziness. So we'll see. Um, oh, hey, Tony, I heard that the 15th season of Supernatural will be its last. And I wanted to ask you as a fan who has seen presumably every episode and met most of the principals at various cons throughout the years, does it make you sad or do you think it's time. Well, I got to say, you know, uh, there's not many series that uh, end up going 15 seasons. Uh, it does make me sad. Um, you know, the fan base for Supernatural is fantastic. And uh, the, the, the cast and actors and actresses are always very giving back to their fans. Um, I, I still find the show very renewing. Uh, last season, they had their Scooby-Doo episode. If you didn't see the Scooby-Doo episode of Supernatural, you need to go see it. It's fantastic. It's hilarious. Uh, not only is it uh, uh, 
Scooby-Doo, but uh, it, it, you know, Supernatural together, it's fantastic. Uh, this latest season, uh, season 14, we're seeing Jack grow into his own. I want to see that continue on to see where that goes because he has the ultimate power and that could rival um, that of God and his sister from past seasons, if you're familiar. So I am sad to see it go. Um, but I also understand that it is time and, you know, they, they certainly, uh, more than uh, extended, uh, what they originally were going to do for the series, which I believe was five episodes. So it's, it's fantastic. It's, it's going to be one of my favorites and, um, yeah, I enjoy it. At least you have like a, it's presumably going to be an awesome finale to look forward to. Oh, I would think so. Yeah. Hopefully it won't disappoint. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, in the finale of the fifth season was great because uh, when uh, Eric Kripke wrote that and, and, and it was originally just supposed to be for five seasons, you know, that was it. And then they found a way to bring it back and they always find a, a way to bring back characters. Jim Beaver's character came back. Uh, the mom came back. You had Jeffrey Dean Morgan come back this season uh, for the 300th episode. Uh, so I think there's still a lot that you can do with that uh, particular universe uh which i know that they tried to do that uh with a wayward sister spinoff um but uh i don't think it's gonna be completely dead i think even after the 15th season there's gonna be another supernatural spinoff i think you're gonna see jensen eccles and jared padalecki come back and revise the role at some point uh in some spinoff you heard it here first possibly i'm sure other people have been speculating about that elsewhere on the web but um that's my feel hopefully you did hear it here first damon i have a local one um special engagement at the funny bone tj miller of silicon valley deadpool and mucinex will be here april 18th through the 20th let's try and get him to do a show i well um, absolutely yeah get on that we're going to close the show with uh sad news this seems to be happening every episode now um rest in peace director writer producer Larry Cohen. He left us at the age of 77 recently. Uh, so much awesome on that resume, you guys. We should do a Cohen movie before the year is up, shall we? Absolutely. Which, what are some of the options that we have floating about? What, what did this man leave us legacy-wise? We have Q, the Winged Serpent. We yes. have God Told Me To, a personal favorite of mine, and also a very underrated phone booth which I actually really enjoyed that. Got a lot of flack, but I thought that was top notch. And I just love how just out there the stuff is as a movie. There's not really another movie that I can think of that's quite like that. Wow, what an amazing movie. I've never seen It's Alive, but I'm very familiar with the cover art of the baby carriage or whatever on there. So that's something I'd like to consider as well but yeah any of those would be excellent he was great from the beginning to the end man for real Mm -hmm. i forgot about phone booth until you brought that up but yeah that's it's a big one amazing legacy rest in peace larry so we're gonna wrap it up for this episode shoot does anybody have any parting words go see rotten tail april 12th yes rotten tail starring corin nemec our guest from this episode april 12th we will Let's see here. We're going to give those links. Um, go to facebook.com slash rottentailfilm or um, also sourcepointpress.com slash rottentail-the-movie. I tried it all as one word, by the way, Rotten Tail the movie. It took me nowhere. So 
you do have to unfortunately type that or just Google source point press and rotten tail. That's how people find things anyway, these days. Um, but yeah, that's going to be awesome. Finally, if you do have a question for us, please write us at cf3podcast at gmail.com. Um, please interact with us as much as possible on Facebook or Twitter. Um, our handle is at cf3pod. Tony, where can listeners find you if they um, want to? I'm on Twitter at t- Tony Teabags. At Tony Teabags. Beware, he posts a lot of memes. <laughs> Just meme it. <laughs> I do. Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks for joining us and um, yes, thank you. putting in the research on The Last Starfighter. Peace out, y'all. Say your goodbyes, people. What are you waiting for? Goodbye, everybody. Thank you for a great show. Do what I we didn't eat you anyway. Tony, what was that quote? What the shit? No, no the other one. Edit. One gun star against a whole armada? It'll be a slaughter. That's the <laughs> spirit. Jeff, do you have a sonnet this week? Please do. Come on, Jeff. About the grind of going back to work. All right, Vato. If you want a limerick, I got something for you, I say. <laughs> this is the down low from the 414. You need to drop a deuce and let it loose. Throw it up. Throw it out. That made my day, man. Brother Teabags, Tony. Teabag. Oh, God, we don't want any of those. (laughs) (laughs) I'm anti-teabagger, all right?